turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5, but we'll be looking specifically at verses 1, uh, 1 and 2. For those of you who are here without a copy of the Bibles, the words will be on the screen for you to follow along. We also have Bibles uh, in the, in here in the front and in the back, uh, if any need a Bible, don't leave here without a copy of the Bible for yourself. It is our joy and privilege to give that away to you freely if you uh, would like a copy of the Bible for yourself. So let us hear together the word of the Lord from his servant, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together and ask his help to understand its meaning and truth. Our great God, you have spoken here these words through your servant, the Apostle Paul. You've inspired these words. They are your words through his hand. They are truth. Truth that we must rightly understand and rightly apply to our lives. Its meaning is not for us to determine. It is meaning, its meaning comes from you and your intention for it. And we are to sit humbly underneath it, instructed by it, learning from it, and obeying it in all places. So Lord, we pray for your help by your Spirit. Give us understanding and give us wisdom. Let our hearts be encouraged. And let us be knit together in love so that we would reach the fullness of understanding of the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So here Paul, in the book of Colossians, is, um, as we saw the last time we, we discussed Colossians, it was, it was about three weeks ago that we last were in, in Colossians, but he ended a section in, in chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, where he talks about how he struggles, how he toils and labors for their, for their sake. He toils and struggles that they would know this mystery that was once hidden and has now been revealed in Christ. And that mystery is the inclusion of Gentile believers into the people of God in a way that does not require them to take on uh, a Jewish identity. They can remain in their, in their Gentile identity without taking on Jewish practices of, of circumcision, of, of dietary restrictions, and, and the Jewish calendar. Because of Christ, all who have placed their faith and trust in Christ now belong to the people of God through Him and His finished work. And this is, a, this is what Paul struggles for. And so here in chapter 2, he says to the, the Colossian believers and then extends that to Laodicea and to those who have not seen Him face to face, and I, I would hold that that includes us, though he may not have no, you know, he may not be thinking, you know, centuries from now there's going to be a, a small church in in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, and First Baptist Church Pinellas Park. They, 
he, they've not seen me face to face, so I need to talk to them. But I think in his mind, he knows that they're going to, this, this letter was going to circulate. And he, he wants these churches to know what is essential and of utmost importance. Now, think about a parent getting ready to say goodbye to one of their children. For some of you, that's very, very close to home. They're going, maybe their child is off to college or has gotten a new job, you know, they've graduated college and they're off to, to start a new job in a different town or a different city or a different state. You know, this parent lovingly prepares their child for what awaits them because they're going to send them away outside of their immediate uh, view, immediate care, and they're going to do all that they can if they're a parent of any, of any metal to, to, uh, to prepare their child sufficiently. So, they're going to think about, oh, you know, what are they going to need? Are they going to need, they're going to need money. They're going to need uh, uh, supplies in their home. They're going to need a, a, a vehicle. And then, then also they're going to know, you know, they're going to want to instruct them based on their personality. You know, I know uh, little Jimmy or little Jenny, they're, 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 they're really responsible financially. I don't have to take care of them, but I have to make sure they don't eat only junk food. They need to eat healthy. So they instruct, Jimmy and Johnny, don't eat only junk food when you're away. Eat a healthy food. Put a vegetable in your mouth, chew it, and swallow it every once in a while. That sort of thing. But, you know, parents, they, when they, they know their children, they know their personalities and their strengths and their weaknesses, and they instruct them accordingly. Well, the Apostle Paul, who is like a spiritual father, to the Colossians, even though he's never met, and, and, and he, he's a spiritual father because Epaphras heard Paul's preaching, came back and proclaimed the gospel that he heard from Paul that he received by faith, and he proclaimed it to them, and they became, in one sense, his spiritual ch children, though they've never met. And because they have never met, Paul doesn't have the ability to discern, really, except for reports from Epaphras, what their strengths and their weaknesses are. He doesn't know the personalities. He doesn't know, you know what, the, what the pastor is like or what the, or what the deacons are like or what the, uh, the various, uh, various teachers and leaders of the church or the various uh, just, uh, 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 rank and file members of the church. He doesn't know what their, necessarily their strengths and their weaknesses are, where their personality quirks are, where their idiosyncrasies are. He, just, he doesn't have that luxury. And so what he says to them is like, I am laboring and struggling on your behalf to let you know what is of most importance because you've never seen me face to face so I don't have the ability to sort of contextualize what needs to be what you need to hear for your particular uh, setting so what we are giving here by Paul is what is primary in his concern in his mind if he is if he is to address a church that he has never met what does he find what does he find most necessary for them to know and this is what he struggles for. Now, how is Paul struggling? He's not just struggling emotionally and inner turmoil. So go back to the, um, go back to the parent preparing their child to, to, to leave the home. There is going to be that inner emotional turmoil and struggle. That's not what he's talking about, where they're worried, oh, is, have, I, have I made them ready? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to make friends? Are, are they going you know, are, are to get sick and not know what to do? Is something going to go wrong in the house? They, you know, that, that inner turmoil. The, he's talking about the type of struggle that the parent, another type of struggle that the parent may do in that they're good. Okay, okay, Jimmy or, or Jenny, let's go shopping. Let's go make sure that you have enough laundry detergent. Let's make sure you have laundry baskets. Make sure you have uh, uh, cups and plates and, and forks and knives and things like that. Let's make sure you have enough clothes. And they go and they buy clothing. They go and 
and they maybe you know uh, search for for adequate housing they maybe go and help them buy a car and make sure that the car is 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 checked out and all the things that a parent would do within their power and their abilities to do that is what Paul's talking about the struggle that he is struggling with not just the inner turmoil of thinking and wrestling and, and hoping but the struggle of praying for them appealing to God oh Lord help these the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and everybody in, 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 in the surrounding area, those I haven't seen face to face where the gospel is spreading and growing, he prays for them. And that is, prayer is not nothing. And I think that should be, I think that's what, we, we need to internalize that truth. Prayer is not nothing. When we say, I'm praying for you, yes, I understand. Sometimes we say, I'm praying for you, or I'll pray for you as a way of getting out of a conversation. Someone comes to you and they're unleashing their, their, uh, their, they're dumping on you all their problems and concerns. I'll pray for you. And that's your way of stopping the conversation, getting out of the situation. But when you're actually praying for someone, when you actually go hit your knees and express your concerns or your cares or your appeals to God on behalf of another, you're not doing nothing. As a matter of fact, you're doing, you're doing a tremendous amount on behalf of that person. For you are appealing to the God of glory to intervene on behalf of your friend or your loved one, whoever that may be. When we pray, when we ask God for, for anything that is within his will, that it is an appropriate thing to pray. So I can't, so you all can go home today and pray that tomorrow in my mailbox there'll be $10 million in, in, in show up in, in cash. That would be nice. God can do that, but that's not within his will. I would not have you pray for that. But if you pray, Lord, I pray that you would be with Tim, help him to be holy and faithful, help him to love his wife and his children, help him in his studies as he prepares to teach us the word of God. You are appealing to God in all of his power and glory to send his resources, which are endless and infinite, to me to help me to be what I must be in order to faithfully execute my calling in my life. That, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't know if any of you have ever felt a, a, a bit of an accomplishment when you say something comes up. Like this week, Lori and I, we, I woke up one day and I saw a charge that should not have come out. We, um, we were being billed for something that, that that time for that billing was over, but that, that, the, the charge was still there. And I, and I, and I told Lori because it was in her name, and so she had to go deal with it. And you, know, you call and you get in touch with customer service, you get in touch with whatever represent, representative, and when it's done, when, it's over, when, you, when you make that contact and that appeal to, to those who can do anything about it, you have done something. Even though you sat there on the phone and just used words, you have appealed and then someone has moved into action and brought about the correction or the change or the whatever circumstances that you want. You have done something. You've appealed through the phone or on email, you know, whatever, uh, uh, um, and you have, you have accomplished that goal. Same thing, but on a much grander scale. It's, it would have done no good for Lori if she had, to, in order to get that change reversed, to call, uh, to call one of you and say, hey, they charge for, for this. I want you to fix it. You'd be like, You're, I can't fix it. it. It does her no good to do that. It does her no good to picket the, uh, uh, you know, to go up the streets and hold up a sign and say, this company charged me falsely. It, it, that, she's doing something, but not the right thing. When we pray, when we appeal to God, we are doing something grand and great in that we are going to the right source for our needs and our help. And so Paul struggles and he prays. And you think, well, is prayer really a struggle? Have you ever tried praying for any length of time? 
Have any of you sat down and said, I want to pray. I've done this on more than one occasion. I've said, I'm going to pray for every member of the church. And I sit down and I start to pray. And I pray for, pray for my wife and my children. Did, did I pay that bill? Um, oh, wait, wait, don't, 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 don't. I pray for Jonathan and his family. I pray for George. And, and, oh, what, what, what's happening next Tuesday? Or, or uh, like, and wait a minute. Um, this thing updates every Thursday at this time. Let me go check. No, 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 no. Pray, pray. pray. And then I start praying more and pray for Buzz and his family. And, and then, oh, wait, wait, is Duke playing tomorrow? Let me, let me check. It, it, if any of you have ever done that, you're, you start to pray and, just, and you just get so off track and then you get so discouraged. And I've gone, I, I mean, you, or some of you, bring, I must have prayed six hours just then you look, oh, 25 seconds. Great. <laughs> Prayer is a struggle. It's a labor. There are forces that, that, that resist your efforts to pray. And Paul prays. He says he doesn't cease to pray for them. And that's part of his struggle, his labor, his toil, that, they would, that they would be, they would, their hearts would be encouraged, they would be knit together. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So he struggles through prayer, but he also struggles through his preaching and his teaching ministry, which this letter is one of those things. He is struggling to combat in this church what he knows from Epaphras, some false teaching rising up. That's what we get later on in this section where he says, I don't want you to be... Um, uh, 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 persuaded by, by plausible arguments or deluded by plausible arguments. So he's struggling against false teaching that has ri risen up. So he writes these letters and he preaches his, and he does his preaching and teaching ministry. Well, if you read like in the book of First and Second Corinthians, that ministry is often responded to with, with hostility and lies from others and opposition opposition with the churches that he has served and loved. They rise up and some say, I follow Peter, I follow Paulus, I follow Paul, I follow Christ. You know, Paul is pathetic. He is unimpressive. When he shows up, he's all meek and small and bald and, uh, and, uh, and possibly blind. Uh, you know, he's unimpressive and he, he's, he's not very, you know, as a matter of fact, in, in the book of Acts, Paul preached so long that a young man fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. He killed a man preaching. This is not someone we need to worry too much about. So his ministry, his preaching and teaching ministry is opposed so fiercely. But yet Paul struggles on and labors so that they would know the truth. He is so inclined towards their good and he wants them to know this. I want you to know that what I do, I do not to build up Paul's name, but for your good. And what is that good? That your hearts, that their hearts would be encouraged and that they would be knit together in love to reach, all the full riches, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So let's take those in turn. This labor and the struggle that Paul goes for as, as one who's not met these, these churches face to face, so he does not have the luxury of knowing their, their strengths and their weaknesses and their personality makeups. He just gives them what is most important. First off, what is most important? that your hearts would be encouraged. Now you have to understand that in our culture, the heart is the center of our emotions. You know, you feel something in your heart that is, you know, but in the, in the ancient world, in the Jewish world, the heart was the center of the person, the will, the mind. It was centered in the heart. 
So what you are as a person is expressed through your heart. So, you know, like, you know, our heart in our culture is only our emotional center. This is the, the personal center of what you do and what you ascribe to. What you are is your heart. So he wants your heart, your person, the center of your being to be encouraged. Now understand this, it just can't, this comes off of the, his teaching back in uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, that there is a, the mystery of Christ is the inclusion of all people, including Gentiles, into the people of God through Christ and Christ alone. So I want you all to be encouraged by that truth, that Christ is the center and the, and the, and the, and the, um, the basis of your acceptance before God. And if you have Christ, you have everything that you need. And, and, and it's clear in, the, in this letter that the, the false teaching seems to indicate that Christ is insufficient, that there is more to be needed by the individual believer than just Christ and his finished work for their fullness of their salvation. And Paul here is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to be encouraged. You have everything you need. Everything in him is all that you need. There are no secondary citizens in Christ's kingdom. If you are in Christ, you will have the full assurance. You have the full benefits, the full acceptance of God in Christ belonging to you by faith. And it is irrevocable. God is not going to erase it from his ledger. He is not going to, you're not going to, uh, 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 you're not going to lose it or misplace it. It's going to be yours. So be encouraged by this truth. Everything you need is sufficiently found in Christ in its fullness. And if you need a reminder of that, go back to verse 15 through 20. Let's read that again. Who, who, who is this Christ that, is, that, that you're to be encouraged by? Well, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether by thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is what you are to be encouraged by Christ. This Christ is yours by faith and he is, he is available to all Jew and Gentile alike. You can come in. So we don't, the Jew and Gentile distinction doesn't really impact us as much, but raised in the church or not. So some of you had the benefit of being raised in the church. You were taught the sort of the rhythms and the, and the ways of church life, dress up on Sundays, show up on time, do your thing, do this and that and others. You are saved out of your sin, maybe not raised in church, you don't know the ways of the church, you come in, you're not, you don't feel like you're properly dressed, you don't know the language, maybe a few bad words still slip out of your mouth from time to time, but you have trusted in Christ by faith alone, and you have, been, you have received the gospel, you, your heart is to be equally as encouraged as those who know the ways of church life. There is no distinction, all are in Christ and are one. You have that and be encouraged. Let your wills and your person and your mind and your heart and the whole of you be encouraged by this truth. The gospel of Christ is yours, freely yours by faith, and you have all that you need sufficiently in him. So be encouraged. Then let that encouragement lead to being knit together. And I think this is where our church will struggle at this point. 
Paul says, what is most important? You be encouraged in the truth of the gospel and the mystery of Christ that all who are in Christ have all that they need sufficiently in Him. Now, let that, let that truth, that encouragement, then bind us together. Well, what do I mean by that? As I've said before, and I, I will repeatedly say ad nauseum, I'm a sports fan. I watch sports. As a sports fan, I am bound together in a strange way with other sports fans of my particular bent. I'm a Duke basketball fan. I'm a sinner. I know. I understand. Whatever. And so when the game is on, whether I'm, whether I'm at the game, I've never been to a game, but whether the game's on or I'm watching in my TV, I am knit together with my fellow fandom. And we together, we rise or we fall based on the performance of young people on the court. And if there are, things go well, we all celebrate together. If things go poorly, we all, uh, we all lament. And then, then the game's over, and then we go our separate ways. But for that time, we are together. We are one, all actively chanting and rooting and celebrating and encouraging and yelling and screaming and all the various crazy things that sports fans do. But we are doing so together as one. But then the whistle blows, the time expires, and we all go our separate ways. For that little bit, we are knit together. I think a lot of people think that church life is like that. We get together for the scheduled time. We do our thing, and we're knit together for that, for that time, and then we go away in our separate, separate uh, settings. Whereas what Paul is teaching is a more, is a, more um, um, a stronger bind, a more um, substantial holding together under this teaching under this truth when you look around at your fellow church members we are not meant to have this truth and just look around and say oh well there's so and so and there's so and so and you know uh i know that i think their job is this but i don't really know and i know they have a couple kids and you know they're really friendly and pleasant and if there's a there's like a church function a potluck or a fellowship we'll we'll sit down and we'll talk but then we'll go away and i won't hear from them until next sunday but if they miss i'll just See you in the next time we'll see him. And, and you're okay with that. We see each other, we're, we exchange pleasantries, and then we go our separate ways. But Paul expects us to have a unity together, a oneness, a sense that if I pull away, just like a thread in a, in a garment, if you pull that away, at some point, if you pull enough threads or you pull the right thread, the whole thing can come apart. And we are not meant to be, we're not meant to be tied together that way. We're meant to be tied together like a family is tied together. So I, as I've already mentioned, I have a, there's five children in my family and then my wife and I and then two dogs, two guinea pigs and a cat. So it's crazy in my home. Um, if, if I go to the back of the house where the guinea pigs are and I look and I see the one, but I don't see the other. I'm like, where's, where's this one? His name's Dinosaur. Where's Dinosaur? You know, even though Dinosaur doesn't really add much, he's still part of my household. And if he's missing, where's Dinosaur? I mean, I do have a cat and a big dog that could possibly eat him, uh, or children. And, uh, and uh, so I worry, where is Dinosaur? But even more importantly, if it's dinner time, we all come down and, and we, Lori's prepared the table and we come down and there's only four children and we count heads. There's four. Which one's missing? And then we do the math and say, oh, this one. Where's Christian? Christian's gone. He's missing. And you go look around the house to try to find him. If Christian's not in the house, we will panic. 
We go to the backyard. He's not in the backyard. He's a pan- that's, that's the type of bonding. He belongs and he is essential. Or like a body. He uses the language of a body. You know, I, I woke up this morning, and I know not all of us can share this, but I had 10, 10 fingers, 10 toes. If I wake up tomorrow and one of them is missing, I know that something has gone wrong. Now, can I survive without 10 fingers and 10 toes? Yes, I can. But there is not, it is not, you cannot say to a person who, is, who, is, who only has nine digits that they're whole. I mean, you, you, you can, you know, they're, they're not whole. Yeah, I'm picking on, I'm picking on. I knew, anyway, Jonathan, I knew a girl in college that uh, was born without thumbs, and that was fun. Um, but still, but still. Or if I woke up and there was an extra, an extra finger that protruded, I would still think that something has gone wrong. But, you, but definitely if something's missing. If I woke up tomorrow and my leg was gone, one of my legs was gone, maybe it's my favorite one or my least favorite one, it doesn't matter. They're missing. Something has gone wrong. I can still survive and function, but I am not whole. I am not as I ought to be. Our tie that binds is the truth of the gospel. It is more significant than any aspect of any part of our lives. You could, some of you have worked the, you know, the same job for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you worked along the same same cast of characters for most of that time, doing the same work every day uh, for eight hours a day, eight plus hours a day, five days a week, working around the clock, laboring side by side with those people. You have known them for a long time. You've tested their character, their metal over the years. And I would argue that if they are not, if that, that coworker of yours that you have known for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, if they are not a Christian believer, you have less in common with them then the stranger you'll meet tomorrow who may be a, a, a genuine Christian believer, you have less in common with that person that you have known for 35 years than you do with the stranger that you meet who is a Christian believer that maybe you only meet for a brief time. We have an eternal bond together, a gospel, a hope, a joy. If you're truly in Christ, all of your hopes and anticipations and joys and satisfaction is to be found in him, in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Anywhere else is idolatry. And Paul is saying, this is why we are knit together. It's because of the truth of the gospel that encourages our heart. We have, and especially in the expression of the local church, we have something that binds us together in a true, substantive for lack of a better term, binding, that cannot be broken. For if you're truly in Christ, no matter if you and I personally are, get along very easily, and that acknowledges something, in the church life, you are going to be side by side with people that you may not readily get along with. But in Christ, you have every tool you need to reconcile and to make right and to be able to not just endure each other's relationship, a relationship with the other, but to actually love and value and delight in one another. Because when you look at the other person, maybe across the pew or across the aisle, whatever it is, and you see in them, in them is my, in that person is the Spirit of my Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. The Spirit of my Lord is in them. They have the redemption of Jesus on them. The blood of Christ has covered their sins. 
Jesus died for them. He is a, because of Jesus, this is a child of my father. And I love my father, so I will love my father's children. Yeah, they may be weird or think I'm weird, hard to get along with. But because they are loved by Christ, and I love Jesus with my heart and my soul and my strength, all my heart, my soul, and my strength, I will love them too. For I am commanded by my Father. I am commanded by my Lord to love them. They belong to me. They belong. And so Paul says, Let's, let us be knit together. So, for the future of our church, we have to be pursuing this actively. This doesn't happen by accident. We don't just all of a sudden knit ourselves together. We have to be actively pursuing that. And I know that there are some here who you're listening to say, that, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. I show up, I do my thing. I'm okay. I don't need any more. But you're going to forfeit something. You're going to forfeit a lot if you resist the being knit together. Number one, that's what Paul says is essential to churches. When he thinks of what is most important, the churches who have never seen them face to face, what does he struggle on their behalf through prayer and his preaching and teaching that they would know? He struggles that their hearts would be encouraged in the gospel, not just in this general feel-goodiness, but in the gospel content. And then their hearts would be knit together in order that they would, in love, in order to reach all the riches a full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery. That's what you'll forfeit. If you refuse or resist being knit together into the body of Christ and specifically in the local church context. Now, when I say being knit together, and I'm saying that you, you know, we're like the Borg in the Star Trek, uh, Star Trek series where you just sort of lose your identity and you become this, this, uh, this, this, this machine-like piece of this, uh, this machine cog, uh, I'm losing, my, I'm losing my descriptions here, but you, know, you just become this nameless, faceless machine in this, in this uh, uh, bigger, nameless, shapeless machine. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you, like in a, in a family, belong to and add to and contribute to and benefit from each other as a hel any healthy family does, where they are loving each other, serving each other, being served by each other, being loved by each other, correcting each other, instructing each other, encouraging one another, and building one another up, and nurturing one another. That's what a healthy family does. If you are resistant to that, you're going to lose out on what Paul believes is to be essential to you, but also you're going to lose out on the the, all the riches of full assurance and understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to purchase that field so that he can obtain the treasure. That is what, that's what our response to the good news is to be, is that we forfeit all that we have willingly, gladly, and joyfully because something greater and more precious and valuable can be obtained through Christ. So when we, f when we refuse to be knit together in church life, we forfeit that joy, that essential aspect that Paul labors for all the churches he has, that have not seen him face to face to have, which is the richness, the riches 
of understanding and the knowledge of, and of wisdom of God. Would you know God? You cannot know Him in isolation. Would you have full assurance of your faith? You cannot do so in isolation. Would you have all that God would offer you to have? Not, not you know, what is culturally held out for you, the good life, you know, peace in this. I'm talking about all that the Bible holds out for you, a peace that surpasses all understanding, joy in the midst of trials and suffering, adoption into God's family, um, uh, the full assurance of your faith and of your salvation, of your security in Jesus, the, 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 the fellowship with God through His Spirit in Christ, despite our sin because, God is, because of God's mercy in Jesus, all that, you forfeit to some degree if you refuse to knit yourself together in Christ to his people. And this is what Paul is holding out for us. He labors and struggles for this. That word struggle, that agonizing that he is doing, he wants to make clear to you. This is not just something I think, hey, you know, be sure to do this or be sure to do that. You know, Lori can call, give a task to Gracie and ask her to put something in the oven and she leaves, oh, be sure to set, preheat the oven. Well, you know, a thing will cook even if you haven't preheated the oven. You know, it's just, it's just a good step to take forward. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying, this is essential. This, you, you don't get what you need if you avoid these things. So he labors and struggles. Let your hearts be encouraged in the gospel. Be knit together in love, in the bonds of the gospel, of the truth of the gospel, and all that, all that God's word says, be knit together with one another so that you can reach um, the, the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. If you forfeit those things, you are not receiving the things that, that Paul holds to be essential for the churches and for individual believers. Brothers and sisters, you cannot go this alone. Brothers and sisters, you cannot, you cannot walk with God by actively refusing to be a part of the people of God. And in this church, that is, that is improving greatly. Our home groups, our various Bible studies and things like that, that is improving greatly. But there's still some areas of resistance. Now, I know that not everyone's circumstances are, are the same. Some of you are, are at a stage in life where um, various ailments and physical infirmities keep you from being able to do as much as you would like to do. I do understand that. Absolutely. Some of you are not, are not, per, are not, uh, do not reside even in this state for the whole of the year. I understand that. I understand that. Some of you, your job responsibilities take you away from time to time. I do understand that. But there are others who have very little excuse. And yet, week in, week out, is a, it is a, is a roll of the dice whether or not we can expect you to be here. You will forfeit essential things if you continue along that path. You cannot expect to have the richness of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of the, will, of the mystery of God, which is Christ. If you do not make a priority 
being apart and knit together, not just attendance, but I mean knitting yourself together and being an active part of this body, of this church. Now, we're a bunch of numbskulls and nincompoops. We are not impressive. I understand that sometimes we get together and we're just flat, boring and weird and whatever we may be. But God has given us in all of our boringness and weirdness to each other so that our hearts would be encouraged, we would be knit together in love, and that together we would reach the riches, the richness of the fullness of understanding of God's of wisdom and, God's, and understanding of God's uh, mystery, which is Christ. What do you forfeit? So think about Sunday in and Sunday out. When you make your choice, should I go, should I stay, or should I go? You know, um, what do you forfeit? What is the cost? If tomorrow your favorite restaurant said, if you, the first thousand people in line starting at 6 a.m. will get free food for a year, I guarantee you, if it was your favorite restaurant, you would make at least a, a passing effort to show up and see if you have a chance of being that first thousand. Because you can see the immediate benefits. Free food for a year? Yeah, boy, I will get up as early as I can to be there. What, is, what does Paul say is held out for you in the life of the church? The fullness and the riches of the knowledge of God. How much more than 10,000 years of free food is that offering? And how willingly we forfeit it by refusing to be knit together in love and having our hearts encouraged in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, let this be a year where maybe we don't see numerical growth. I hope we do. But what we can see is when we look back, when December 31st, 2019 rolls around, we look around and say, I have a greater and more vibrant and a tighter bond with my church than I ever had in years past. And that has been such a tremendous blessing by God's grace. Let it be so.